Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 143, Getting Permission to Turkey Hunt Private Land. And I am your host, And the guy who is the hero to his mother and cousin. Because I pointed him to the website www.unclaimed.org. They clicked on the state that they live in, typed in their last name, and they found out that the state of Alabama was holding some of their money. And so they put in claims to get their money back. From the state of Alabama, we don't know how much it is yet, but they're due a little bit of cash coming back to them. Unfortunately, my name was not on the list and there was no cash coming back to me, but you guys may want to go on the website and check it out yourselves. Unclaimed.org. Click on the state you live in then it should be pretty easy from there to search your name and see if the state that you live in is holding any money in your name. And if they are, shoot me an email and let me know. I'd love to know how much money you got back from the government. It's your money. They're just holding on to it. You may as well go get it. My email address, if you don't know it already, is andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. And right now today, We are 238 days, 7 hours, 25 minutes, and 24 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And right now, I am still in planning mode. It is hot outside. The hottest temps of the season so far this week in central Alabama. I mean, it's smoking hot outside. Temps in the mid-90s, humidity levels in the upper 70s, low 80s, with feels-like temperatures of 105 to 110, makes it downright brutal outside. I can think about walking outside right now and start sweating. But with all this heat going on, I know that fall season is right around the corner. It will not be long before fall turkey season starts coming in in some of these states around the country. And we need to be doing our planning and not just planning for fall hunting, but we need to be planning for spring hunting as well. Now is the time for us to plan for next hunting season, whether that's getting a late summer planting of millet 
or corn or soybeans or milo in the ground for the turkeys or tinkering with shells and chokes and sights on our gun at the range to get ready for next season, we need to be taking advantage of this downtime from chasing turkeys to getting ready to chase turkeys. Part of our prep should be gaining some additional hunting spots and getting permission to hunt private land as part of that process. If you'll recall my interviews with the pros at the NWTF convention in February, I asked every single one of the pros one question, the same question to each pro that I interviewed. And one of those pros gave me an answer that I was not expecting to get. And he blew my mind when he said it because it was spot on. That answer came from Cuz Strickland when I asked him, what's the one thing that took you from being kind of that beginner turkey hunter and having limited success to being a very good turkey hunter where you were consistently killing turkeys. His reply was getting access to better hunting land, land that was not as pressured as the Mississippi public land he had grown up hunting. Getting access to hunting land with turkeys that are not as pressured was the key to killing more turkeys. So he took what I've been telling you guys on this show one step further than the way I say it. I've been telling you that you can't kill turkeys on property where there are no turkeys. And he told us that we can kill more turkeys on property that has less pressured birds. And that is what I'm talking about today. Getting permission to hunt private land, but not just private land, private land with turkeys on it. And that's huge. Because that is the first step to success in this process. That is the first step we need to make when we start looking to get access to hunting private land. We need to do our research online and by phone to find those areas, the counties in our state, that have the highest population of turkeys. And we do that by going to our state game and fish department website and finding harvest rates for each individual county in our state. And now keep in mind that these stats are greatly affected by the number of hunters hunting in those counties as well as the population of the turkeys in those counties. So in knowing that, if we can find the name and phone number of the state turkey biologist in our state and call him or her and get input as to which counties they're seeing the highest hatch and recruitment rates in the state right now. That's going to be a big help too because that is the future of our turkey population in these counties. And if we're going to put forth the effort of finding private land to hunt, then we want to make sure that that land is good to turkey hunt today and will be good to turkey hunt on next season also. Once we've identified the areas and counties that we want to find land in, then we want to identify specific parcels and the owners of those parcels. Now we do this by using Google Earth and GIS, which is Geographic Information System. So first we're going to use Google Earth. We're going to use it to identify areas within that county that we know has the high population of turkeys that look like they may hold turkeys. We're looking for a good mix of trees and fields 
And ag fields are great, but even fallow fields and CRP fields can be good as well because those are often great nesting areas for hens. And when looking at Google Earth, we want to avoid areas that look like they have a great deal of 5 to maybe 15-year-old clear cut on them. Areas that don't have trees that are big enough for turkeys to roost in. And areas that have trees that are too big to make good wild turkey nesting habitat. And once a clear cut hits about five years, it really is not doing much good for wild turkeys. Now, I say that, and it actually can be good wild turkey habitat, but it has to be managed that way. And most of that land in the southeast that looks like that is not managed to be good wild turkey habitat. So once we found a few areas with a good mix of fields and trees with water, then we want to look at what is around it. Are those areas near a major highway or interstate where road noise will be a limiting factor in our success if we can gain access to hunting? Years ago, when I first got into turkey hunting, I once got permission to hunt a piece of property in North Carolina that had a dirt racetrack on it where the owner would hold races two Friday nights per month. Now, the only times that I had the opportunity to hunt that property were Saturday mornings after the Friday night races. And imagine the activity on that property, Friday, race day, in preparing for the races and Friday night during the races. If there was even a bird near the property after all of the race prep on Friday during the day, after all of that activity, that bird would have been scared to death from the noise of the race cars on Friday night. Needless to say, I saw turkey tracks on that property, but I never saw a turkey on that property. If we're going to spend the time and put forth the effort to secure private land to hunt, we want to know that we've got a good chance of harvesting turkeys on it. So that's why Google Earth is important. And once we've used Google Earth to find a few really good looking areas, then we want to identify the property owners in that area. And that is what we use GIS for. Now we should use the GIS for the specific counties that we've identified. So here's how we do that. We go to Google and we search the county that we've been researching land in and the letters GIS. So for example, so, for example, if I want to find landowners in the Idaho Panhandle County of Nez Perce, then I'm going to search for Nez Perce County GIS. And one of the results that comes up when I do that search is a website for the county itself. And when I click on that link, the site asks me to agree to their terms of use to access their mapping services. Once I agree to their terms of use, the site takes me to their GIS maps and database where I can zoom into a particular part of the county where I've identified attractive looking habitat and I can see the property lines for each particular parcel in that area of the county. And once I get to this point, I can select a tool from the menu bar that allows me to click on any of those parcels that are showing on the map and identify who owns that particular parcel in that area, how big that parcel is, and the owner's address where the property tax notice is mailed. 
Often, that is the individual owner's home address, but that is not always the case. If the owner of the property is a corporation, then that could be the corporate mailing address. And we may have to go to our state's Secretary of State website and find the name of the individual who registered the name of that corporation with the state. Now, this works pretty well on mom-and-pop LLCs and S-corporations, but if you find the owner of that parcel to be a larger corporation, a lot like what we see here in the southeast where paper and timber companies own very large tracts of land, then what we need to do is we need to turn to that company's website for information on leasing that land. Or some companies even offer the opportunity to pay a trespass fee and certain places even offer the opportunity to obtain a day pass for hunting that property as well. So that's where looking at the website will really come in handy to educate us on what the particular company requires of us to have access on their properties. So if we find the owner to be a larger corporation who does not allow hunting on their lands, then I'm going to venture out and say that we may be better served moving on in our search to find some private landowners. But if the corporation does lease the land and it is currently leased, then we should ask the company for the name and number of the individual who holds the lease to that property and call that person and ask that person if he or she runs a hunting club on that property or just leases it for themselves for their own private use. If it's a hunting club, then we can ask to see the property, ask them the amount of dues, ask them for a copy of the rules, and if we can look at the property. Get eyes on trees and boots on dirt and look at the property. From there, if we like what we see, then we can join the hunting club. But we need to be sure that we can turkey hunt it because some hunting clubs, and especially in the southeast, we see this a good bit, they do not allow turkey hunting either because the landowner retains the turkey rights or certain club members buy all of the turkey rights, which is pretty selfish, I know, but we turkey hunters can be pretty selfish. So we need to be sure that we have the opportunity to turkey hunt that property if we join the club. Now, if the person who has that property leased uses the property themselves just on a personal basis, then we can ask if they would entertain a meeting with us to discuss having us help with the cost of the land and planting and doing work days in exchange for turkey hunting rights. Okay. So, now what if the landowner is an individual or a group of individuals? Well, if the landowner is a group of individuals, of course, the landowner wouldn't be a landowner. They, they would be landowners. What we can do is typically find the person who's in charge of that land by going to the tax collector's office for that county where the property is located. And typically, the tax notice will be mailed to one person only for that property. Most of the time, that's the person who's kind of taken charge of that property. So imagine a piece of property that's been in a family for a long period of time, and mom and dad pass away. There are four children, and the land is left to all four children in one parcel, and it has not been divided. 
typically one of those four children is going to be in charge of that land. Maybe it's the executor or executrix of the estate, but the tax notice usually will go to that one person, and that's who we need to try to contact at that point. So once we know the person and the property address of that person that the property tax notice goes to, then we can jump into action. Now, from here, we're going to get a lot of differing opinions about what approach is the best approach. I am going to speak more for what I know, and that is land in the southeast. And I know a little bit about gaining access to turkey hunt land in the Midwest. Not much, but a little bit. And here's my experience and my opinion. And I do believe that this varies a lot depending on what part of the country we're in. If we go to the Northeast, I don't think that this is the best strategy to take. But I believe that a face-to-face -face meeting with a landowner is 100 times more effective than a letter or a phone call asking for permission to hunt. The reason I say that is because, in my experience, it is so much easier to tell someone no over the phone or in writing than it is face-to-face, -face. especially when you're in an area like the southeast where, I think to a fault, most of us are just so nice that we'll lie to you to not say no. And now I'm going to carry this area of disagreement one step further. Because when I say that I think a face-to-face -face meeting with the landowner is better, it gives us a better opportunity to get a yes, the question comes up of how do we expect to get a face-to-face -face meeting with a landowner if we don't call first to set up a meeting? And here's where it gets a little bit hairy. But oftentimes it takes patience. If at all possible, do a drop-in. And that is going to be where the big controversy comes with a lot of people when they hear me say that. Because some people's objection to a drop-in to ask permission to turkey hunt is that, well, you don't want someone just to drop in on you at your house. And that's kind of true. If someone comes knocking on my door at 6 o'clock in the evening, because of where I live in the suburbs in Birmingham, it is either one of my neighbors or someone trying to sell me something or ask me to vote for someone. But I don't believe that's the way it is in the country. So if we're traveling in the country and we go and knock on someone's door, what runs through the homeowner's mind at that point in time is that most likely someone needs some help. There just aren't a lot of door-to-door -door salesmen, and there just aren't a lot of political candidates who are out knocking on doors in the country where there's a house every two or three miles. Again, I feel like that's probably different in the Northeast where there are not these huge tracts of land that are owned by one landowner where most of your landowners out there own smaller tracts, anywhere from 40 to a couple hundred acres. And those landowners may be better approached initially by sending a letter or by making a phone call requesting the opportunity to talk to them about hunting their land. So I'm going the route of a drop-in. 
and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So for a drop-in to be successful, we really need to be cognizant of a few things. First of all, we need to keep in mind the season that we're dropping in. What I mean by this is if the landowner is a farmer who lives on the property, then we don't want to really drop in on that farmer during planting or harvesting time. Most likely at that point, we're going to interrupt the landowner or the farmer when he or she has money making on his mind, and we don't want to start off on the wrong foot. Another thing that we need to be cognizant of is our dress. So I'm against going and knocking on someone's door wearing camouflage and carrying a gun in my hands with my rubber boots on. It kind of gives the wrong impression to the landowner, like maybe you're thinking that you're going to go out and hunt right away and that they owe you the opportunity to go hunt. That's not the impression that we want to give that landowner. So I think we need to dress in our clean street clothes and not necessarily in our Sunday go to meeting clothes, but maybe something nice enough to wear on a golf course. You know, kind of like dinner with the wife at Applebee's nice. I definitely do not recommend that we show up in camo. I also don't recommend that we show up in our dirty work clothes, just like I recommend we don't show up in camo, because we never get a second chance to make a first impression. I don't even remember what commercial that's from, but I like it. And one other thing that we need to think about is not only our dress, but how our vehicle is dressed as well. Our vehicle doesn't have to be spit-shined, but I think that showing up to someone's house to ask them permission to hunt with a pickup truck that's absolutely covered in mud might give the wrong impression of what we're trying to do on that landowner's property. We're not asking permission to go mudding. We're asking permission for hunting, and we don't want to let them think that we're going to be tearing up their roads or their fields with our vehicle. Okay, one other thing that we need to think about before we go and drop in on someone is that sometimes we're better off asking permission to hunt small game and or trap predators before we ask them about big game. So if we're patient and looking to build our confidence with a few yeses before we go out looking for a yes when we ask for permission to hunt big game, then starting with small game and trapping is the way to break the ice with a landowner. As we all know, landowners often get hit up for hunting rights for big game, but many times they could care less about having someone on their property hunting squirrels, rabbits, birds, groundhogs, coyotes, or raccoons. In taking this approach and treating the landowner with respect, his property with respect, and following his instructions about how to care for the land can go a very long way towards getting us permission to hunt other game animals later. So going small to start with a lot of times can get us in the door and get us permission to hunt turkeys, maybe next season or the season after that. One other thing to be cognizant of. I personally don't think it's a good idea to show up to ask permission to hunt someone's land with two or three of our buddies in the truck with us. I think it gives the landowner the wrong impression that we are going to be bringing anyone and everyone hunting with us when that's not the case. And we need to let the landowner know that 
if we do get permission, that we would like to bring a guest maybe once in a blue moon, or a son or daughter, or father, or mother, or wife, or husband with us. And that leads me to say this. If you have a child that you enjoy taking hunting, or if your spouse enjoys hunting with you, then we need to take that child or that spouse with us to go talk to the landowner. A lot of times when we show up with a family member, it doesn't have to be a son or daughter, it could be a niece or a nephew. It could be our father or mother or our spouse. But when we show up with that family member, it lets the landowner know that we really value hunting as a family sport and it's an opportunity for our family to spend time together doing something other than sitting in front of the TV or having the kids do nothing but sit on their rear end playing with their iPad or on the Xbox playing video games. So this one little step can do a great deal to gaining permission to hunt a parcel of property as I really believe we all have a hard time saying no to a child or to someone who shows up with a family member who wants to enjoy the great outdoors with a family member. And one other thing about this, I'm not going to say that it's a bad idea to coach the child on how we want him or her to act while we're talking to the landowner. A well-behaved and well-mannered child is much more likely to get us an okay to hunt that land than one who is a little wild and crazy running around and jumping in mud puddles and so on and so forth. So now we know what we need to think about before we go do our drop-in or if we're in the Northeast make that introductory phone call. But here are a few suggestions that can help improve our odds of an affirmative answer once we start the conversation. Number one, this is very important. We should be respectful of the landowner's time. And this is a tad different than what I was talking about a minute ago with the season. What I mean by this is we don't need to beat around the bush for 20 minutes trying to work up the nerve to pop the question. Making some small talk is great. It's necessary. But we don't want to make too much of it. Another thing is that a heartfelt compliment about the farm, the house, or barn, or his truck, or even his tractor can help break the ice as well. If it's sincere, and I mean truly sincere, it can go a long way to building likability and trust as well. Maybe you've got something in common or a good story about that truck or tractor or the barn. Maybe your grandfather had a piece of property that had a barn just like that and you're very familiar. You remember your grandfather teaching you how to milk the cow in that barn. Little stories like that can go a long way, but you have to be sincere about it and it has to be true. So that's a good way to break the ice before we pop the question. But again, we just need to be aware of how much of the landowner's time we're taking up before we get to the point of why we are there. All right, one other thing that can improve our odds of getting an okay from the landowner is our language. We should always be polite and be respectful and never, never cuss. Even if the landowner does, we do not need to do that. And we also don't need to take the attitude that we are owed something. We are owed nothing. 
especially when it comes to getting permission to be on someone's land. We also need to remember that if we get a no, that this is when we need to continue to be polite and respectful. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I have turned no's into yeses just by being respectful of a person's decision and continuing a conversation, especially if that conversation has nothing to do with hunting or fishing or the landowner's land. Maybe I start talking about that barn again and all of the memories I have with my grandfather on the farm. And remember, if we go for the gold right off the bat, and we ask for permission to hunt turkeys right off the bat, and we get a no, don't hesitate to back off a little bit and lower your sights some on small game for squirrels or rabbits or doves, anything like that, even to come out and hunt predators. A lot of times we can turn that no into a yes just for that particular animal. And again, next season, that no that we got for turkeys may turn into a yes. So we should never give up, but we should also never be a pest about it either. All right, now this one I think is very important. We need to think about why the landowner could possibly say no and head that no off, cut that reason off before we ever get the opportunity to hear it come out of the landowner's mouth. We need to address what we think could be potential objections before we ask any question about permission to hunt. For example, you know, farmers seem to always have issues with people coming on their land and driving off of their roads, whether the driver's just not paying attention while he or she's driving, or the driver's just trying to avoid mud puddles or potholes and goes off the road and the, the road gets widened because of that, or a field gets trenched because of that. So we should address the fact that we'll stay on the landowner's roads and park only where the landowner wishes for us to park. We need to be sure that the landowner knows how respectful of his property and his wishes that we'll be, and that we'll treat his land like we would treat our own. One other thing that I believe will help us to be able to get a yes when we ask permission is that if we have permission to hunt someone's land nearby, then we should mention that to the other landowner that we're trying to get permission from. So mention that we have permission from Jane Smith down the road to hunt her land and that we've been hunting it for two years. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know what Jane thinks about me and her decision to give me permission to hunt her property, then you're welcome to call Jane. Here's her name. Here's her phone number. And feel free to call her and ask her about my character as a person and also my character as an outdoorsman. That can go a long way towards getting us a yes to hunt someone's property. Another thing that we can do to help get a yes is to show the landowner that we don't want something for nothing. I don't want someone to give me permission to hunt their property and me not give something back to them in return. That's just not who I am. I don't operate that way. So I think that we should offer to help around the house or on the farm when we ask for permission to hunt. And I think that, that can go a long way. Now, I want to kind of expand on that a little bit because there are a lot of us that don't know a whole lot about farming. 
And if we don't know how to drive a tractor, we should not offer to drive a tractor for this farmer or this landowner. That is going to get us in trouble and probably hit our checkbook pretty hard. Repairing tractors is not an inexpensive doing. So if we don't have any skills around the house, if we don't have any handy man or handy woman skills around the house, but we have other talents, we can offer those other talents to the landowner. Maybe you are an excellent IT person. You can offer to hook up a wireless router in the landowner's house or office or barn so that the landowner can have wireless internet while working around those areas. Maybe you offer to install a cell signal booster so that the landowner can have cell coverage inside the metal barn. Maybe you're an attorney and you can offer to write up a contract or draw up a will or any sort of legal service for the landowner just as a way to say thank you and to prove to that landowner that we don't want something for nothing. So we've all got talents and we should offer one or more of those talents to the landowner in exchange for hunting rights. I think it's fair and I think it's the right thing to do. Okay, something else that I think is pretty important and can go a long way towards getting us a yes, and that is this. There are many states out there that are very litigious states. Alabama is one of those. And landowners have very few protections against liability in those states. So offering the landowner a hunting liability insurance policy, if he or she will give you permission to hunt their property, can go a long way to help getting permission. And these policies can be purchased through companies like Outdoor Underwriters or even different associations that we're members of. For example, I am a member of the Alabama Forest Owners Association, and I have the opportunity every year of purchasing a hunting club liability insurance policy through the Alabama Forest Owners Association. And I can do that for any landowner who gives me permission to hunt their property. So, personally, when a stranger asks me permission to go on my property, whether it's to hunt or to ride four-wheelers or to cut firewood, anything like that, my answer is no. And the reason that my answer is no is because I don't want to give that person permission to go onto my property and have that person do something to get hurt, and then next thing you know, I'm liable for that person's injuries because of the way the laws in our state are. But if someone would offer me insurance, offer me that protection that if something did happen to them while they were on my property, that I would be protected, I would be shielded from the liability of that injury, then I would be much more likely to say yes to that person. Okay, one other thing that we need to keep in mind when we are talking to the landowner about getting permission to hunt their property. And that is that we need to have a pen and paper with us. And we need to have business cards with us as well. Now, if any of you out there listening don't have business cards for your job, then you can get cards printed. 
and you can have them printed online very inexpensively, if not for free. And sometimes you can get them for free. But we should give the landowner a card, a business card, before we leave if we get a no or right after we get a yes when we get that. The pen and paper is for writing a permission slip, which gives us signed written permission from the landowner as required by law in a lot of states, and Alabama is one of those. That pen and paper is also helpful for taking notes that the landowner gives us about what his ground rules are for us to keep our hunting privileges in the future. We can also use that pen and paper to take note of family members' names, their pets' names, any contact information that they give us, phone numbers, any other important tidbits that can often show those individuals, those landowners in the future, that we listen and that we care. These little things can definitely help when presenting our case to the landowner. But there are some other things that we can do after we get a yes that can help ensure that we can hunt that property in the future as well. And here are some of those. When we ask permission to hunt, we offered to help on the property or around the house or to swap some sort of service, whether that's writing a will or hooking up a cell signal booster. Whatever that was, we offered to do that and we need to do it. We have to show that landowner that we are good for our word. We have to make time and we have to stay in touch with that landowner as well. We can't drop the ball here or if we do, we're going to soon find ourselves out of a place to hunt. The second thing that we can do after we get a yes to ensure that we can hunt that property going forward is just a simple showing of gratitude by giving the landowner some sort of a gift a half or a whole turkey breast from a turkey that we take on the property, or if we don't kill one on the property, a bird that we've taken somewhere else. That can go a long way in letting that landowner know that we care about them, that we thank them for the opportunity to hunt on that property. We can give them a ham before Christmas or Thanksgiving. Or if we're known among our friends for our homemade beer or pies or cakes or barbecue sauce or anything like that, those items make a great gift as well and a great way to say thanks. You know, for those of us in sales, we always try pretty hard to take care of our clients because we know that if we don't, someone else will and they won't be our clients for long. And getting permission from a private landowner to hunt his or her land is no different. If we don't take the time to show that landowner that we appreciate them, then someone else will. And that someone else will be working your turkeys on that farm next spring. So there are some thoughts and some tips on things that we can do to secure more hunting land for either the fall turkey season coming up or next spring and like I said when I started all this our success depends on the planning and the groundwork that we lay before season ever starts and if we give ourselves the opportunities to hunt turkeys on private land where there are more unpressured birds than there are on public land or just give us more opportunities to hunt other pieces of private land, then 
we're going to do nothing but better our chances of success for the coming season. So I hope that this has helped you guys out a little bit and maybe given you some confidence to go out there and start talking to some landowners about getting permission to hunt their properties this coming season. That's all that I've got for you guys this week, but you know I'm going to ask you for a favor. And the favor is this. If you learned anything from this week's episode, if you would please forward, like, and share this week's post on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. That would be a huge help for me. It's very easy to do. It doesn't take but a couple of seconds, and it goes a long way to spreading word about the show. And this show has grown to some crazy numbers because of you guys, and I thank you for that. But I'm also counting on you to keep up the pace, and let's keep this thing growing. So, it's time for me to cut you loose for the week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.